You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are at the LCMS Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas. And it is also kind of exciting because we get to continue our series of Set Apart to Serve. Now, granted, we're recording on, what day is it, Monday? I believe it's Monday. And we're sharing this with you on <laughs> Friday. Yes. So hopefully by Friday we've gotten some sleep. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and our guest today as well. Our guest is Dr. Bernard Bull, president of Concordia University, Nebraska. Dr. Bull, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to continue the Set Apart to Serve series, and we're thankful to Concordia University, Wisconsin as well for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about them at, at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. So, Dr. Bull, tell us about your path to becoming a Lutheran educator. That started <laughs> a, long. a long time ago. Yeah, that's a <laughs> big question. I'm told we have a little bit of time, so I'll give you the, yes. I'll give you the full story. Okay, good. I was attending a public school. I grew up well, I grew up in a lot of places. I lived in 12 states my first 12 years, I believe. But Whoa. <laughs> around the age 12, so 11 or 12 or so, I was attending a public school in Alton, Illinois. Okay. So not far out of St. Louis. Yeah. And um, I had a little bit of conflict with a couple of kids on the bus. And one day I felt something cold on my neck and uh, someone kind of pulled me back and it ended up that it was a knife and Ooh. he was threatening to take my, my life. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but he said something about, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the last day of your life or something like that. And it was a pretty frightening day for me. I spent most of the day in the restroom, ill. And, you know, the mind of a middle schooler sometimes, I didn't want to tell anyone. Of course, mm -hmm. the stakes were pretty high here, so I probably should have. But fortunately, someone told the principal. And I don't know how everything played out, but long story short, somehow my parents decided that there was a better place for me to go to school mm -hmm. than that particular school. So they enrolled me in a little uh, Lutheran school in Bethalto, Illinois, Zion Lutheran School in Bethalto, Illinois. And um, it was, I believe it was the second semester and probably within the last three months of the end of the school year. And it was for the, my first time, we didn't attend church quite regularly and I had not been a part of a confirmation program or anything like that at that point in my, in my life, at least at, at that, that point. And so we had... Uh, confirmation built into the day school curriculum mm -hmm. and Reverend Her Herb Mueller was oh. my confirmation uh, teacher and wow. I just vividly remember these messages uh, I, I was now this is dating myself and <laughs> some are going to hear this uh, this reference and they'll have to go uh, search online and see if they can find a YouTube video but <laughs> I don't know if you've ever if you remember the old show Welcome Back Carter but uh, this was a very old show, and it was, uh, there was a character in it. It was all set in a school. John Travolta was oh, one yeah. of the actors. And it was, <laughs> it was a comedy, and there were these high schoolers with this teacher, and Carter, Mr. Carter is the teacher. And there was this character, Arnold Horshack. And he was known in the show because the, during class, uh, Mr. Carter would say something, and Arnold was that student. We've all, all seen this kind of student before, who would just be overly... Uh, excited to answer any question, uh -huh. even if he had no clue what the answer was. And he would always go, ooh, 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 and he'd climb up on the desk, his <laughs> knees up on the desk, and trying to get the attention. Well, I wasn't quite that bad, <laughs> but I was sort of that type of character. At least that's what I felt. That's how I remember it. Others in the class maybe remember it differently. <laughs> but um, 
most of the people I think had grown up in that school and they'd heard these incredible messages of God's love in Jesus Christ on a regular basis and they'd been pretty well catechized uh, day after day in this Lutheran school environment and through their Sunday school and other things like that. And um, it wasn't quite as familiar to me. And so a lot of these things were fresh and new. And I just remember one time Reverend Mueller saying something, I forget exactly how he framed it, but he said something like, um, how many people do you think would have had to have been on the earth for God to consider it worth sending his son? Whoa. You know, and um, if there were 100, if there were 50, he said, what if it were just you? Do you think that God, God's love is, is for you is big enough that he would have sent his son to die for you if that's what it took? Um, and, of course, his answer was yes. You know, mm-hmm. God's love is that great. He loves us collectively and he loves us individually. And he sent his son to die on the cross for each and every one of us. And, and I just remember just how incredibly grounding that was and just as the Holy Spirit works through his word and, and you know, nurtures faith in each and every one of us, that was a, a linchpin moment for me in my own faith formation. And I remember many other messages, just introduction to key passages about you know, uh, God reminding us that he will never leave us or forsake us and, um, and Jesus saying, you know, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So all of that happened in those few months, in, an incredible uh, time in my faith formation, my own early catechesis. Now, I was there for just a few months, and as I mentioned, I lived in 12 states my first 12 years. Yeah. So my father uh, came home and, had, and said uh, that summer, um, we're moving again, and we're moving to Laredo, Texas. Hmm. So we moved to Laredo, Texas from um, Illinois, Alton, Illinois. And at that point, all my siblings were out of the home. They were already married and things like that. So it was kind of like an only child at that point. <laughs> so just my mom, my dad, and me. We moved to Laredo, Texas. My father had had a, a litany of health issues even back into his 30s. I think he might have even had his first uh, heart attack in his, possibly in his 30s. If not, it was in his, his early 40s, wow. I believe. Um, and, um, and so he was pretty ill. And he'd been through a lot of, of health issues and so forth. And... Um, and so we moved down there. We're there, and I believe it's in the first week. I should ask my mom to clarify. Um, if this were alive on the show, she could call in. She lives <laughs> in Alton, and she would correct me on this. <laughs> but it was within the first week or two or something like that. It was, it was quite early because I, I think we hadn't even – we might have just bought a condominium or something. It was, it was just – we weren't even – it wasn't even furnished yet, the, the house. And um, – my mom wakes me up in the middle of the night and said, son, your dad is sick. We need to go to the hospital. We got into our van and we drove. We got there. Um, they were doing construction on the hospital. And you can vividly recall these kinds of moments in your life, maybe too vividly sometimes. And long story short, my father died of a massive heart attack that night at 49. Oh, I was wow. 12 years old and, uh, and he died. So uh, we, my mom's making phone calls back at the condominium, the house, I believe. And she's calling family back in Illinois and letting people know the news and all of that stuff. And she, with uh, some friends that worked with my dad, were, were there with her, I think. And I was sitting in the back room, as I recall it. Again, we all recall these things. I don't think I have it perfectly in my memory, but I got the gist of the story. And, and I remember I'm sitting in the back room. And I remember vividly kind of talking to myself. 
And I remember the phrase, your father is dead. But you have a father who will never leave you or forsake you. Hmm. And those passages that had been shared with me as the Holy Spirit had worked through his word in those months prior to that, they just came back in a powerful way, you know, as God worked through his word to remind me of his promises and all he has done for me and promises to do. And that was the rock. We know Christ is our rock. Mm -hmm. And that was such an anchor in that moment. I was sad and I struggled. I'm sure I grieved for years as I I made sense of all of this. But that was a, a, a powerful, powerful moment. And I was blessed. We ended up moving back to Illinois. My mother met a wonderful man whose wife had died of cancer around the same time that my my father had died. They had known each other, I believe, in high school or something like that. And uh, he was a farmer and didn't move. I mean, you went from moving (laughs) every year to the kind of work where you can't even leave for the weekend because of the the, the hogs or, you know, the livestock (laughs) and so forth. And, And we... You know, we, he was a member, lifelong member, I believe, at Trinity Lutheran in Edwardsville, Illinois. And mm-hmm. um, they agreed to send me to Trinity Lutheran, and my faith continued to be formed and shaped there. And then on to Metro East Lutheran High School, where I had incredible uh, Christian role models and mentors, a theology teacher, uh, Ron Henschen, who I believe, um, he's, he doesn't fail at many things, but I think he's failed at retirement uh, a lot of times. <laughs> he seems to keep going back and back there to Metro East and teaching and does, you know, he's just, a, he, he probably knows uh, knows the names of everyone who's graduated there for however many years. It's just mm-hmm. uh, amazing people like that. So many different people that I recall um, uh, who are Christian role models. And I think because of what I went through, even though I had an amazing uh, stepfather, I, I probably gravitated toward those male role models in my life as well in those schools. And um, Mr. Schmidt, by the way, back in eighth grade was a um, Terry Schmidt. Um, oh. Was my eighth grade teacher. <laughs> oh wow! Um, Bob Whipke, who was uh, you know um, worked district ex- exact in North Wisconsin. He was actually the principal at Zion. Um, at back <laughs> with that part of the story, <laughs> it becomes a small kind of Lutheran world oh, sometimes. Yes. But all of these people, they had such a big impact. And and so as I sort of prayed and considered what I what I would do, where I would what I major in, I I was I went to college and was majoring in physics and math. But somewhere along the line, I just realized, wow. Wouldn't it be an incredible honor to give back to the Lutheran education system that was there for me in such a powerful way in my own life? And, um, and that was a, you know, that line of thinking was something that really in- encouraged me. And, and I was blessed to have the opportunity to do that and ended up accepting my first call to serve at a Lutheran school in Rockford, Illinois, and then Lutheran school, Milwaukee Lutheran High School. And and eventually serving at Concordia University, Wisconsin. And now I get a chance to be part of Concordia University, Nebraska. Amazingly, by the way, um, it's an incredible number of those role models who are Concordia University, Nebraska alumni. <laughs> and I had no idea. I mean, some of them yeah. you know, came from River Forest and other places too, but it's probably at least half or more of those role models um, had somehow come through that little powerful Lutheran University in the cornfields in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, that is such a great story. Um, so many little points along the way that people had that influence and that impact on you that, that may, may or may not have known in the moment, but that definitely came around uh, later on. Do you see this in uh, the, that same thing in the students that you've been able to teach, the, those, those moments when they, when they really needed, um, needed to hear 
about Jesus and really needed those moments of inspiration. And you or other teachers that you worked with were able to, to provide that for those kids. Yeah, well, and I think there are a number. Certainly the idea of having Christian mentors and role models in their lives, obviously we know, as Lutheran educators, we know that the fundamental core foundation of Lutheran education is the family, mm -hmm. is the Lutheran family, the Christian family. It all, all begins there, right? It's grounded. And, and for Christian parents who embrace that calling uh, fully and vigorously and, and are investing in, in the time and the energy to um, you know, nurture their, their children and the faith, we know that that's a, that's a key part. We know that uh, their pastors are a, a critical part of that faith formation. And they're seeing their pastors sort of live life in, in the uh, Christian community, in, in the church. And, um, and then these, these teachers, for me, these Christian role models and teachers, sometimes they're DCEs and others, but all of those other people. Um, and, and I think that these linchpin moments, though, are, are really important as well. So, you know, there's a, a little um, essay uh, on the making of a theologian that many people talk about, uh, about uh, w what are the aspects that contribute to, um, the, to the making of a theologian and meditatio, tentatio, oratio, mm -hmm. right? And that tentatio, that kind of struggle, that kind of piece, is something that I have actually heard that story over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, sort of an affirmation. It's where, you know, God's word, these objective truth in God's word intersect with those real world struggles and experiences that we have. Mm -hmm. And for me, that moment that I described where I'm sitting in the back room and God's word is what sustained me um, in that time. It's amazing how many people I've talked to who have ended up serving in as a pastor, as a DCE, uh, um, as a teacher, in a variety of church work capacities who had those kinds of moments. In fact, I've shared the story I shared with you with a lot of groups. And um, if it's a group of 100 or more, I will probably have three, four, or five people come to me afterward and say, it was incredible. You just shared my story mm -hmm. or a story very similar. Yeah. We're talking with Dr. Bernard Bull, president of Concordia University, Nebraska, today as part of our Set Apart to Serve series. We have more questions and more stories from Dr. Bull in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our Set Apart to Serve series, and we are at the LCMS Youth Gathering. Well, at the time of recording this, we're yes. at the LCMS Youth <laughs> Gathering. Um, it is Monday at the Youth Gathering, and you're hearing this on Friday. Our guest today, Dr. Bernard Bull, president of Concordia University, Nebraska, continuing our conversation, encouraging young people to consider church work vocations. And you shared uh, your story with us, a very beautiful story and a touching story uh, of how the Lord shaped you and formed you in to uh, an, a Lutheran educator now, an administrator, you know, leading Concordia University as president. When 
and I'm guessing from your story, you have a really good foundation for this. When does the formation of a church worker begin? Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit before. For me, it begins, it begins in the family. Mm -hmm. It's uh, that role of parents are critical. I think there's a wonderful opportunity, though, for parents in terms of that, that faith formation to make observations and to speak to their children and to, to note the gifts that they see God nurturing in, in them and de developing in them. That's a, that's a critical piece. It starts very, very early in that sense. It starts in terms of those formative interactions with their pastors and other, uh, others who might, they might interact in their church home and in their surrounding community. Mm -hmm. How do the, the adults uh, who surround them, and, and maybe not even parents, but other adults in, in church and other places, uh, how do those adults play a, a role in this encouragement? What, are, what can they be doing that, um, outside of just the, that family unit? Well, I think we've all had this experience before where we're at church and we see uh, someone who maybe maybe it's on Sunday morning and you see this young person who's helping out with Sunday school mm -hmm. or you're doing some, something. And on your drive back home from church, you're maybe talking to your spouse or your kids, whoever is in the car with you, and you just talk about, you know, Julie was, wow, she's really gifted. I love the way that she works with those kids and she's so faithful and um, that's amazing to see. She's memorized those Bible passages and she speaks with such joy about the love of God and, and Jesus. And, and so you're talking about that in your car. Why not tell Julie, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a small step. Mm -hmm. But to write a letter, to write a, a word of encouragement, I don't know about you, but I remember those words of mm -hmm. encouragement. Um, and for me, it might have been just a, a little, I didn't, uh, almost like an afterthought. Mm -hmm. I just saw it and I shared what I observed with Julie. But I guarantee you, Julie will remember that for 30 years. Mm -hmm. mm. So let's think about, are, are there things we can do even in the early, early years for those, those little kids that might be thinking about? And I know early childhood maybe isn't your area <laughs> um, <laughs> now that you're working with young adults. Um, but are, are there things that parents of, of uh, and and neighbors, you know, the parents, friends in the congregation of young children. Are there things that we can be thinking about then to also encourage children? I right. Mean, yours started pretty early, too, that sure. path. Absolutely. Well, and I didn't share, too. As I mentioned, we had different times where we may have been more or less engaged with church life in my childhood. My father had actually come from, a, he, he was, had been a, been a Southern Baptist minister. And oh, then wow. he became a, a Lutheran uh, when I was pretty young. Um, so we went into a very different line of work and so forth. And so even when we weren't engaged in church, uh, I remember him playing hymns on the organ. We had oh, an electric wow. organ at home. And then we'd make a certain breakfast that I don't think I can name on air. It was a military <laughs> breakfast. I'll just say that. I know it's <laughs> An <laughs> acronym. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I think part of, part of this church work formation is faith formation as well um, mm -hmm. for people to be um, introduced to the great hymns of the church, mm -hmm. to be introduced to God's word on a regular basis, to experience Christian community, um, to be part of the divine service, and and even before they're participating, I mean, to, to have their parents talk to them about what God's doing in holy baptism and what's happening in the Lord's Supper, and to invite them up to the altar, even when they're not r ready to receive 
receive it, but to receive you know, the blessing from the pastor and to actually process and talk about these things with their children and also to, make, to talk with children about um, what's happening, those who are mm-hmm. serving in the church in various capacities, and whether it's in a Lutheran school or DCEs or all these other capacities, and, and affirming them and, you know, and in, in the presence of, of young people and, um, and lifting up the idea that these are really noble, wonderful, am- amazing vocations that God calls some people some t- people to. I think sometimes people get a little caught up. We have some talking points, and I think it actually shows up in the minds of youth at very young ages because they hear it. There's this idea that, you know, to become a church worker is a vow of poverty and mm. suffering and sacrifice. And yeah. yes, there is struggle that's involved, <laughs> but that's true in any life and in any vocation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and certainly there are things that we can do to try to address, address financial issues, and we have work to do in, in some areas. But to talk about the incredible gifts, I have served as a middle school Lutheran teacher, a high school Lutheran teacher. I've served as a, uh, a professor on the university level, an administrator, and all these different ways. And I feel incredibly blessed. It is a, I, I see it like a grand adventure. And you know, that I'm so honored to have been called by God to go on this grand quest. And I have no idea what's next. You have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen. I mean, to be a teacher in a classroom is, is it's an incredible adventure. You don't know what you're going to experience. It's like traveling to a new country every day. <laughs> and personalities of middle schoolers change that quickly sometimes, right? And uh, <laughs> I always tell people, if you want a middle school teacher, uh, to, to understand what it's like to be a middle school teacher, imagine being in a room with 30 people, no one speaking, and it's deafeningly loud. Just because of the fidgeting happening, oh, all the energy. Yeah. And and some people look at that and say, I never want to be part of that. And I look at it and think, those were some of the most amazing years <laughs> of my life. All of that energy and that excitement. And imagine what happens when you invite people into God's word and, you, <laughs> and they're excited about it and they're hearing it for the first time in some cases. Um, so I don't know. I think I meandered a little bit from your question, but I think part there's a lot that we can do in those early ages. But a big part of it is, you know, nurturing people in the faith, pointing out the the, the wonderful vocations that are uh, in church work, in full-time church work service, talking about those things, affirming those with young people. How have you been a part of, of that formation with the, the students that you've had along the years? And now even as university president, uh, having a, you know, a pretty significant role in the formation of these young people who are going to be church workers, who, have, who maybe have already decided that they're going to be doing this and, and they are on this path to being church workers. It is an incredible honor to be a part of the lives of young people, regardless of where God calls them. That's just such a joy. As I mentioned, in the middle school classroom, high school, I worked with students all the way up through the doctor level yeah. and, and and it's it's a beautiful opportunity um, to help people um, be equipped for callings that they may or may not be aware of even mm-hmm. right I mean we, we all know I mean I never aspired to be a university <laughs> president I don't know if anyone wakes up and you know or they're they're born and they you know their kids people ask children what do you want to be when you grow up and they say I would like to be a university president I mean that's just not someone some, someone aspires for but uh, you know, it's it's really neat to be a part of of young people's lives, and and I'm not sure how it's going to work. So the call is to try to be faithful, to mm-hmm. point them to God's word, to uh, pray that God would would allow me to uh, to embody the the Christian life in a way that's honest with integrity, to 
to be honest whenever I fall short and seek God's forgiveness and to, to speak openly about that so that students don't know that it's not like someone doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> In mm -hmm. fact, if that were the case, we would have no church workers, right? right. <laughs> we would have no church if it was only for <laughs> the perfect. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, I think it's been a real honor to, to be a part of, of that. I, I think about all of the students that I've been blessed to teach and work with. And um, I taught theology in Lutheran high schools mm -hmm. for a number of years. And just the fact that I, I remember thinking some days, it's incredible that I get paid to do this. That I get, I get this salary to spend my entire day in God's word with young people. And of course, we all know that from that come all sorts of other things. The after classroom conversations about people who are struggling with any number of things. Um, and, and in Lutheran school ministry, that's a little different from a parish setting too. You're oftentimes working with people who may have never stepped into a church. Mm -hmm. You have some who are coming there and it's a continuation of the faith formation in their family, but you have others. Um, I remember I had a student one time who um, we were, I was teaching, we were in the Old Testament and we we're um, learning about the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And she came to me after class and said, um, Mr. Bull, what are the Ten Commandments? And I said, oh, it's okay if you don't have them memorized yet. And she said, no, no, no. I mean, what do you mean when you say the Ten Commandments? Mm -hmm. Like she didn't know what the phrase referred to yet. And, uh, and so there was that spectrum <laughs> of young people that I had a chance to work with. Now, that person didn't necessarily go on to be a church worker <laughs> um, today, although maybe she did. I actually lost track of uh, where she is. But it's, it's just an incredible blessing to be there to affirm the gifts that you see growing in young people. Um, I don't know. I didn't give you any specific examples, but that's what came to mind. Yeah. Set Apart to Serve is the LCMS initiative to encourage young people to consider church work. Um, any final thoughts or what you want that, uh, either that parent or that young person, or maybe that person who encourages the young person to know as we consider Set Apart to Serve and encouraging young people? Well, there's a lot that's have, that has been said that we've talked about a little bit today. Maybe I've talked a little much. But um, I'll say one thing that maybe has been said less in the larger conversation, just as, as a closing thought, which is that um, as God equips people for service in full-time service in, in the church, whether it's as commission ministers or ordained ministers, a variety of capacities, oftentimes we talk about these very discrete kinds of roles. Mm -hmm. Like they have this, young people have this image. This is what a pastor does. This is what a teacher does. This is what a DCE does. When in actuality, when you look at how God calls and uses his people, uh, there are thousands of different ways in which their gifts are, are used in the church. That we have, um, we have people who are ordained ministers and they serve as parish pastors, they serve as chaplains. Some of them are involved in social ministries of different types. Some of them become, uh, they are leading theological libraries at seminaries or <laughs> they, could be, um, they could be doing all sorts of different things. They might become um, teachers, they might, you know, they could serve in a variety of ways. Same thing is when one is a commissioned minister, um, 
there are a variety of things that might happen. During, in my service in Lutheran schools, I have been a classroom teacher. I was a technology coordinator. I helped design and lead service event experiences to the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Jamaica and other things like that. I got to help design curriculum, got to work as a director of outreach at a church, um, and all of these different roles. And I'm, not, I'm just touching the surface of the different ways that, that people might serve God. And you don't always know that. It's not like there's a really clear path to one specific area. But I think that's something that I'd love people to encourage young people to think about. That a call to service, full-time service in the church, is one of a grand, uncertain, <laughs> um, challenging, meaning-rich adventure. And you have no idea where it's going to go. And I think that, that that might maybe evoke a little curiosity in our young people to realize that uh, the possibilities are endless. Of course, we have a God of endless possibilities, so why wouldn't we think that these possibilities for service are endless? Our guest today, Dr. Bernard Bull, president of Concordia University, Nebraska. Thanks for joining us for the Set Apart to Serve conversation at the LCMS Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour, recorded at the LCMS Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere.